weeks. If you have your Bibles, would you open with me to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 17 through 19. Next week we'll finish it up. And let's open in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we're in a country at this time where we can still worship you openly. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would give us the boldness to be able to preach the word in season and out of season. Lord, simply proclaim that you are God. And you are the hope, and you are the answer. We thank you for your word that tells us what's right and what's wrong. How to get right and how to stay right. We ask this morning that you would give us a hunger and thirst for your righteousness, but you would give us a hunger and thirst for your word. So speak as your servants are listening. And all God's people said, Amen. As I mentioned last week, and I can't help but mention as we go through the Scripture, we're in what's called the end of the end times. What does that mean? That means we're closer to seeing Jesus face to face than we could ever imagine this generation, next generation. We don't know how long. There's people trying to set dates But there are several things that tell us we're in the end of the end times. There are are signs of the end times. One of those signs um, coming from Hosea is in the end times that God will send a famine, not of teaching, but of hearing. When the people don't want to hear the word of God, they don't want to follow, they don't want to listen to it. God says, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to send a a phantom that you will not want to hear. They'll hear, but they won't understand. And that's something that's coming in these end times. And it's really great as we go through Timothy because while it's written to a pastor, yet it relates to every one of us in so many ways. And thinking about Timothy, again, it's, it's a book that Paul wrote to Timothy. It's very personal and where Paul usually writes the first three books or the first half of that book is, is, is really the, the doctrine and the duty, we find that through this whole thing, there's application for each of us. Now, the application, you have to understand, it may not speak to you today. And then one day, it may have hit you like a Mack truck. It's like all of a sudden, you're in the dark and the lights go on. Because God's word does not come back void. Do you believe that? And if you do, then we open our hearts up and and thank God because he's going to use that word at the right time. Maybe it's a word that God will speak through you. Maybe it's a word that will speak to you and illuminate something in your life that he wants to change. Well, as he's been dealing with Timothy, if you remember, it, it, it's, it's very interesting because uh, Timothy's this young man. He's timid. He hasn't been bold. 
He's not evangelist, but he's told to do the work of evangelist. And all these things are probably true of us. It's probably very hard for the most part for any of us to share the gospel. Because we don't realize that Jesus could come today. If you really knew that Jesus was coming today, what would you do? Would you call your relatives, your friends? A last plea? We are in the end times. Why not be a fool for Christ? And tell those that you love the good news of Jesus Christ. But in order for them to understand what the good news is, they, they have to understand that bad news. They're blind to their sin. They're separated from God. And God had to die for them upon the cross to pay that price. It means we need to pray for boldness to share. It's not that we want people to come from another church. We want to see people saved, snatched out of that miry clay. I shared maybe a few weeks ago, I think, of an Indian that told his testimony. And, and this is very important. You must know and remember when you were saved and what God did in your life. Because if you don't, you will never tell anyone else. The Indian was asked to, to give a testimony. What did God do? And he piled a bunch of dry leaves up into a pile, picked a worm up and set it down on those dry leaves, and then lit the leaves on fire, and it's going up in flames and smoke. And he reached into that fire, lifted that little worm, and he held it close to to his heart. That's what God's done for every one of us. You have to realize that. If he hadn't reached in using someone else, you might have gone up in smoke. But now you have a hope, a hope that the world doesn't have. Now he speaks to us and he begins to show us those things that, that he wants to change us or even things that could stumble us. In fact, I titled the message, your, your Money or Your Life. No, I'm not asking for money for the offering box. But to many people, money is their God, their Lord. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about somebody who is just won the lotto. No, I'm not talking about that kind of person. You, you don't even have to have a lot of money and it can still be your God, your Lord. And how we look at money and finances is very important because whatever that you have is a gift from God and, and you are simply a steward. And the most precious gift that you have apart from salvation, is time. And it's slipping through our hands each day. Let me read our text 
and you'll see where I'm going. In verse 17, it says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so they so that they may take a hold of that which life indeed it's interesting as we we think about this paul has already dealt with materialism even in this same chapter back in verses 5 through 10 and then he went on to to move on and that we're to fight that good fight of faith but only a few verses, he returns back to this idea of uh, materialism. Perhaps Paul was reasoning in his mind and his heart, and certainly we know he even was led by the Spirit to write what he did. God uses that, that man with his own personal, his character, his own experiences to, to write through him. Because that importance of fighting that fight of faith, taking a hold of, again, eternal life, coming to that point that you really know God, and that assurance of God that that you have that contentment, peace, See, that's what God has for you and me is this, this peace and contentment apart from anything that's going on in this world, in this life. Whatever's happening in the news, the shootings in this country, the persecution around the world, and yet the persecution of the Christian was coming to this country. If he doesn't come soon. You may have to be in that situation, or your kids may have to be, or your grandkids in that situation, where the world is going to say, I want you to recant. I want you to turn away from Jesus Christ. Unless you know him in a very personal way, know that he'll never leave you or forsake you. The assurance of salvation that you'll see him face to face. Knowing to be absent the body is to be present with the Lord. If you do not know those things, that time will come that you will turn because in this end times, it's a time of apostasy when those who profess Christ will jump ship, abandon him, for another gospel, which is not a gospel at all, that Galatians would speak about. He warns us today about materialism. There's a little pack rat in all of us. Would you agree? Have you ever ever lived in a house for 10 years and then got to move, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> when did I get this? Uh, and even use this. We collect. Materialism can be just, I got to have this. I have that. 
I've talked to people in a situation like that where, well, what about this, trying to help them, you know, kind of lighten the load here. And No, no, that's mine. That's mine. Like a little kid. It's broken, hasn't worked for 20 years. It's not even sentimental. It's not the kid's little curls or hair that you saved. It's junk. Materialism. It's not just being wealthy. It's, it's what you do with things. First Timothy 6, 11 through 12 says this, But flee from these things, you man of God. It's interesting, you know, you're given this command, flee from these things, run as Joseph ran from Potiphar's wife. There's a choice that needs to be made. Joseph had already made that decision before he was in that situation, and, and he could flee. But this is very important for you and me when we read and we see the flee from these things that we need to choose today. Flee from these things. What things? Well, it's all the things, materialism and money and, and all kinds of sinful things. But he goes on, if you flee for something, you need to add something. And he says, pursue righteousness, godliness, and faith, and love, and perseverance, and gentleness. See, when a person flees from worldliness, materialism, and things, they replace it. And the only thing that you can really replace this with is really that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. When a person chooses to pursue these, they're pursuing Christ himself. And in the pursuit of Christ, he says, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This is where you find peace and contentment in Christ, in Christ alone. And we try to find peace and contentment. I'm going to say it, rubbish. I've been getting rid of and purging things. I thought I would get this, give this away to someone. I don't want to leave it for my kids to throw away. Realizing that I in the past haven't always been a good steward. Maybe you understand that in your own life because that's really what's important to God is he's entrusted you with everything whether it be time or money relationships that's what matters you've been entrusted you've been called set apart entrusted with the very gospel of God when a person chooses to flee Naturally, he finds Jesus Christ. He finds that as he seeks these things, his spirit is built up. His spirit then testifies with his spirit that he's saved. When the death of a loved one comes, he has that assurance that he will see them not only face to face themselves, but they will stand in the presence of God together. It went on in verse 12. We saw, again, 
fight the good fight of faith, take a hold of eternal life, which you're called. See, that's what happens when you flee materialism and all the other things that hinder and get in the way of your relationship. You're fighting that good fight, and you're apprehending this eternal life. Now, maybe you're saying, I don't have a bunch of rubbish. This is going to be a hard thing that I'm going to say for some. But is he the Lord of your life? Do you put him first? I know you're here. But I once had to make a decision when I became a believer. I wanted to be in church. I wanted to be meeting with God and meeting with God's people. And I had to say, this is important to me. And you want a good employee, this is what you have to do. And I'm going to be there. And if, if I, I couldn't take a job, if they, when I came to Hawaii, I couldn't take a job if I had to work on Sunday because I wanted to be with the Lord. It meant that, that when we put ourselves in that place, that we're willing to trust God for those finances, that he's promised to provide those needs. It's a choice that we make. Now, if your boss really is in a pinch, I believe there's a time that we should honor that relationship. But whenever possible, we need to be in the fellowship of the saints, worshiping the Lord. But sometimes people just work, work, work. I knew a a, a business, a Christian bookstore. They were open Sundays. He said he couldn't pay the bills unless he was open Sunday. In reality, he wasn't trusting God to provide those needs. Oh, certainly we do what, you know, we feel we're called to. It's our job to try and earn the money. But ultimately, it's God that grants the favor. It's God that brings that business. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Now, there's going to be two responses in this case of fighting the good fight of faith and taking hold of that eternal life. It's important you were called, and and he goes on to that good confession. There's two responses. It's One is either one of maturity or one of immaturity. The mature one is one to draw near to Jesus Christ himself and knowing that when they meet, they will hear God in Oftentimes what we do is we need to learn to listen to God. You know, in your reading of the Bible, the studying of the Bible, if, if you've been watching a lot of movies and videos, it's hard to get back into studies, isn't it? Because you're used to doing something different. In the same way, it, it, it takes time to learn to listen to God. So there's a mature part that says, I'm going to put God first and I'm going to wait upon him. And the second one is, is one that is a, that's carnal. That only focuses upon themselves. And if we've made him the Lord of our life, either he's the Lord or not. And you have to examine that. You have to stop and sit before the Lord and, and let the Lord show you. Is he really the Lord of your life? He wants to be. But it's a choice that you make. Ephesus where Timothy is and being left is an extremely wealthy city. In fact, one of the home churches that, that the early church met in, you can see this home elaborate. I'd love to live in this home if I saw it. I mean, it's gorgeous and 
painting and art on the walls and the floor, right in the heart of the city, you wouldn't need a chariot or a car or even a taxi. Huge. It's one of the wealthy people. But in this case, they were using their wealth to bless others, to bless the Lord. See, there's a problem with money. You ever notice that? In fact, when we looked at it, looking at money recently, money itself is not bad. It's what we do with it. But, but we saw earlier in verses 6 and 9 that peril of pursuing wealth, where people are so busy pursuing wealth that God takes a back seat to everything in their life. Well, today we're going to look at the problem of possessing wealth. Verse 17, and then in verse 18, 19, the privilege of perpetuating wealth. Oh, a different kind of wealth, though. And again, I'm not talking about those that, that have just won the lotto or some inheritance, and, and yet it would fit for them. What would they do with that? So often the rich people that I've known in the past, they have a struggle it is a blessing not to have a lot of money. Just have your needs provide is a real blessing. Because so many that are rich, it's a, it's a burden for them trying to get it, to earn it, to make it. It's work. It's a driving force. Many end up in divorces, thinking that will just solve all their problems. They'll have the best marriage. But it doesn't. The burden of care of trying to keep it, to hang on to it. When I had my business, my money went through the bank so fast, it got windburn just going out. Because to make money, you got to spend money. And everybody wants to be your best friend. There's the burden of fear, losing it all. And people get themselves sick. The burden of when they die, what will happen to their family? And their family fights over the money. Then there's the burden of abuse. How you wasted that money. And the sorrow of losing money and People have lost their whole fortune and jump off a building and commit suicide. You're talking extremes. I'm not talking extremes. These things are more common than you realize. The Bible has so much to say about money. It's amazing. It's money and it's use. Notice on the screen with me, Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other. He will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God. And wealth, or another scripture says mammon. You really need to decide which master are you going to serve, because wealth becomes the master of so many people. Even if it's not a lot of money, the, the desire to have it. Like adrenaline, 
got to have it. When God began a work in me and my business, and, and I, he, he took the desire for my business away, and I started scaling my business down. Where I was making more money with less effort, and I had time to be with him. And in that time, one of the best things ever happened to me because my wife and I were divorced at that time, money was going to solve that problem, and money, the business became my God. It's when I had that time, God could begin to work in my life, and Judy and I got remarried. Yeah. Money divides people. First Timothy, again, as I already mentioned, and Chapter 6, but flee from these things, you man of God. We talked about that man of God. It could be a man or a woman of God that, that, that people should look at us and say, here's a man of God, here's a woman of God, because we reflect Jesus Christ in our lives. What do they see when they see you? Now, Hawaii loves Vegas. You, know, you did notice that, didn't you? You ever see those commercials that used to have on TV? It's been a while since I watched TV. And those eyes were like bugged out like his. And they were looking over the slot machines like, yeah, the next jackpot's mine. (laughs) They came home a loser each time they went. Few people we know ever become winners. And even the winners come home as losers. I like, though, 1 Timothy. Remember when Paul started writing this, he was, he was kind of pouring out his heart to the people. And it says there in 1 Timothy 1.5 on the screen, but the goal of our instruction, I like this, is love. From a pure heart and a, a good conscience and a, a sincere faith. Love. The love for God and the love for others. That All of our motivation come out of the basis of a loving heart. This is what Paul's been trying to instill. It's not a, a series of rules and regulations. When he says this, he says this, first of all, because he loves Timothy. He loves the flock that he doesn't even know, that Timothy's going to shepherd, and he wants the best for them. He knows these things would stumble them unless they listen and put it into practice themselves. where only one has to work because those kids need you. Because if you don't take that time and and go without, the world is raising your kids and they will become just like the world. Notice again in that verse, uh, the goal of our instruction is love. Notice from a a pure heart, and the, the pure at heart will see God. Isn't that wonderful? And a good conscience. This is the man of God, the, the woman of God. This is what, the, how they try to live their life. And sincere faith. Well, look with me in verse 17. We're going to see the problem of possessing wealth. Again, look at verse 17. It says, instruct those who are rich in the present world. 
Those who, some would say, have really been blessed. God has blessed them. Money isn't always a blessing because some people don't know how to use it. Notice what happens. Again, struck those who are rich in this present world. Not to be conceited. To fix a hope on uncertainty of riches. But upon God who richly supplies us with all things. These are things sometimes not just money, but rich in the world's eyes as far as goods and toys and things. He's saying this because these things tend to be a hindrance among all rich people. Successful people. I done it. I made it. You know... Again, I mentioned every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. God himself is the one that grants favor to you and places you where he would have you be. And when he places you in that place, whether it's a lot of money and a job or a job less, because he's wanting to use you in that place to be a light and a witness, and it's not about the money, though he will provide your needs. He knows the tendency of these wandering hearts. You may be walking with the Lord today and something will trigger something and all of a sudden you'll say something, act in a way that you haven't acted for years because that's the way the heart is. Someone begins to to pat you on the back. You have been a really good breadwinner. You're so smart. You've done this and done that. Pretty soon we begin to think it. We're so smart. Who has given you those smarts? God himself. He's created you different than the animals. He's given you a mind to reason, that ability, the opportunities to be in a country where you can get education, the opportunities for business. Now, it's not wrong to have wealth. It's only a problem when wealth has you. When it controls every thought, every move, you've got to worry about how am I going to keep this? How am I going to invest it? How am I going to do this? And there's no time for God. That's when it becomes a stumbling block to all. Deuteronomy verses 8 or chapter 8 verses 11 through 14 Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by keeping his commands, his ordinances, his statutes which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, When you have eaten and are satisfied, have built good houses and lived in them, and when the herds and flocks multiply, your silver and your gold multiply, and all all that you have is multiplies, and then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. It's so easy when things begin to go to forget that God had his hand upon you from the very beginning. He was bringing him into a land that would be called a land of milk and honey, more of geographic describing, but it was a land that he would provide. He would give them houses that were already built. He would bring them to properties where there was already the vine producing and olive trees. He's going to provide all this for them, and, and pretty soon they would forget him. And that happens in the church. We've seen people 
go through a divorce, a death, and they'll come, and they come for about six months or so. And as they begin to get used to it, we don't see them again. And then when we see them in the community, find out they've just been drawn into the world. They've never really had a, a relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, as I mentioned several times in paraphrase, look with me at James 1.17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting a shadow. He, he's there. He's providing, and he's providing things that you could enjoy them, but his enjoyment is different than you have. In fact, in Hebrews 13.5, notice what it says. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. I think that's probably one of the most powerful verses in the Bible after the gospel to know that God is with you, with me. Wherever you're at, he's there. No matter what you're going through, he's there. He's wanting you to turn to him. He's the one that has his arm around you in a, in a spiritual sense that's holding you up, sustaining you and keeping you. That, that is all you really need and I need is knowing that God is with you. Emmanuel. And he'll never leave you or never forsake you. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter anything else in this life. But that if God is for you, who could be against you? To be absent about it is to be present with the Lord. That one day you'll be with him in heaven. That this life James describes is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But eternity is forever. Not only is it eternal forever, it is a quality of living. And you and I do not, will not, ever understand apart from Jesus Christ himself. Now, verse 17 points out the danger of conceit and arrogance. King James uses the word high-minded. If we're honest, every hand would go up. If I asked, do you struggle with pride? Every one of us are proud in some capacity. When I had my business, I picked the customers. I picked them because they're jobs. I picked them because they pay. I, I, I. That's what pride does. And sometimes God will allow that in your life to lift you up and then pull the rug out from under you. That you have to look up to him. Think of Job. Had everything and everything was taken away from him. But he chose to praise God no matter what. Conceit. Arrogance. Conceit and arrogance side by side. Sometimes the same word used, but the idea is you begin to look down at others. You're better than others. You're more important than others. That's what wealth sometimes does for some people. The Bible says in Psalm 5, 5, The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You ate all who do iniquity. 
God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. How important that we are to lay this before him. And that's what money leads us to sometimes, our accomplishments, our investments. What is conceit? It means we have too much pride, too much idea who we are, our own worth, our own goodness. They need me. And soon love leaves a a relationship. I don't have to put up with this. I'm a self-made person. One thing leads to another. Notice what the Bible says in Romans twelve sixteen on the screen. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And that's so often when you meet a, a rich person, they puff up, but I know some of the nicest rich people. You wouldn't even know they were rich. They live humbly. They're gentle. They're kind. They're good to be around. You're so happy you're in their presence. Proverbs 8.13 says this, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. As we put off all those other things, this is one of the things we need to, to learn is to put off pride. It's something that we can choose not to be there, not to be proud and arrogant. We need to pray and seek God. God, remove that arrogant, prideful heart. It leads to a a false confidence. Riches. Sometimes people trust in them and lean upon them and think they're going to sustain them. They trust in the riches instead of in God himself. James 5.3 says this, Your gold, your silver have rusted, and the rust will be your witness against you and will consume your flesh like a fire in those last days that you will store up your treasure. The riches create an appetite for more and more and more. Recently, when I was on the mainland, I I had an opportunity to go through an area, and, and they had these huge homes. I mean, we're talking six and seven bedroom homes. What's anybody need a six and seven bedroom home when they don't have any kids? Sheets for curtains. And these homes weren't just finished. They've been finished a while. And dirt front yards. Living beyond their means. Trying to compete with others. Proverbs 11.28 says this, He who trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteousness will flourish like a green leaf. We're going to see the second point this morning in our text, the privilege of perpetuating wealth. Well, there's good wealth and there's bad wealth. In fact, in verse 18 it says this, Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. This is one thing that's always amazed me about Hawaii from a little kid up. People in Hawaii are very generous. Even when they don't have something, they will give the shirt off their back. In all the places I saw the most was Waianae. 
poor, down and out, worst reputation. But if somebody was hurting, they were there. And that should be true of us. That we should want to come along and help. Remember the widow with the mite and she put it into the offering. She gave her all. I don't think you could outgive God. Now, first of all, what you should give is your time. People ask me, well, I, I, I give 10% tithe. Well, okay, I, I don't want to talk, I don't talk about it unless I come to it. But you know what? If you give 10% of your time or your finances, shouldn't you give 10% of your time a day to the Lord? How much is that? Almost two and a half hours a day. What's the most important thing that you could give to your kids? Your personal time. Your wife. Your husband. It doesn't have to be a lot even, but it has to be quality time. That they know that you've given yourself. And that's what God wants. Because if you're giving yourself, he will show you how to give, what to give, and when to give, and who to give. Notice the responsibility of Timothy was to instruct in, in four areas that he was to instruct the people. Now again, it was a wealthy city, but not everyone was wealthy. You have wealthy people, you have poor people that had to take care of them. And the message was for all. It was practical. Well, the first thing I want to call your attention to is to do good. The, the phrase to work, to do good works, the idea is, is, is really just to, to be a, a divine stewardship. Just give yourself. Look for an opportunity. You ever look for an opportunity just to help somebody, just to bless somebody? You ever look out your door at home and see a neighbor struggling and, and go over and help that neighbor? Look for an opportunity. Whether it's serving the church at your, your workplace or your own neighborhood. Good works. Prepared before the foundation of the world, but we have to choose to make ourselves available. We have to open that window of time, but time cost. I've never gave anything away that I wasn't more blessed by the reaction of the people than whatever I gave. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Wealth, however it is, should be seen as divine stewardship and an opportunity to advance the kingdom. A man that I met on a trip to Israel a couple times, um, he saves all of his money and he buys Jewish New Testaments. He takes them to Israel. He's not Jewish. He just reads the Bible, and he looks for families, walking kids. And he begins to share, and he leaves them with a, just a Jewish New Testament. How are you investing for the, the future? That includes the sharing of the gospel with people, looking for opportunity. It's not cramming down people's heart, but it's looking for an opportunity. It's, it's say, Lord, I'm here available. Now look at Ephesians 2. 10 on the screen. It says, for we are his, notice, his workmanship 
created Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. You are his workmanship. You know what's so amazing? Is he chose you, chose you before the foundation of the world, prepared these good works for years and years later. And to think, God, you were thinking about me and you put me in this situation. You had planned it so long ago. You weren't an afterthought. You were like the apple of his eye. Philippians 2.12 and 13 says this, So then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not as much in the presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God even goes and puts the desires in your heart to go and minister, to love, to encourage, to build up. A kind word, maybe just a hug to somebody. A phone call. Or your boss who's an unbeliever. Share with them. But we, that includes all within the body of Christ, are to be rich in good works. Our goal should be, one of our goals is to to go out and, and I mentioned last week, just to go out and bless people. We're to esteem others higher than ourselves, so it should be our goal is, Lord, help me today be a blessing wherever I go. Give me the eyes to see. If I'm focusing on myself, I won't see those needs. And I'll just walk on by. Miss the golden opportunity that God had prepared for you for me, for you. But with that right attitude, I'm looking. As I mentioned, the lady years ago, or her name was Phyllis Berry. I get excited when I talk to her when I first got saved. And she'd been a missionary on the mission field for years, and she'd come off the mission field, and, and uh, she was retired. And, and, uh, and she'd wake up every morning. I, I can't do this. I'm sorry. I'm not as spiritual as you might think. But every morning... Lord, what is it today? And I'm serious, she had that attitude. Every time I saw her, people would give her, send her tickets to go to some country I've never even heard of. And she'd get on the plane and she would get all excited and say, who do you have me meet today, Lord? We should be so excited, so anticipating God's prepared these things for you. He's put the desire in our heart. She has a desire, but, but you have to flee these other things that are distracting. Get rid of these things that are hindering you from being available to the Lord to experience the fullness of joy that God has for you and me. The problem is self. The Scripture is clear. We are to deny ourselves the things that we want to do in one sense, and we are to pick up our cross and follow him daily. God has a plan for your life. We, we don't understand. In fact, I don't even like that terminology, but he does have a plan. There's good works prepared before the foundation of the world. Your wife, your husband, there's a good work starts right there. Even the raising of your kids. Your neighbor next door who may be Mr. Grumpy Pants. And God puts them in your life. 
So there's this false pride, this false arrogance, there's this conceit that we're to put off. But there's this pleasure of doing good. This joy, he's, he's given us this opportunity, this divine uh, stewardship, as I mentioned. Luke twelve twenty one says this, So is the man who stores up a treasure for himself and is not rich is not rich to God. You can store up all this your life, all your savings accounts, and have nothing saved up, or you can be sowing spiritually. Now, this is not a, me- a message for tithing. That's not what this is about. It's just being a wise steward of what you have. We're to, to be generous. To give the shirt off our back. And, and certainly the, that Eastern culture understood that because if somebody came in your house, even if they're your enemy, you were to bless them. You were to give them something. We kind of do something similar. If you come to my house today, you bring a food offering and I eat it for you. You know what I mean when we go, we have our, but all these things are really the same, that you go and if somebody gives you a pot of food, you fill it up with food and send it back. And you give them more. Where to give, to be generous, and not even consider the amount of money. God will show you what to do. And how to give. We're to, to, to give, but not grudgingly. I love, uh, I don't think we would have it on our wall, but in Calvary Chapel, Molokai, they used to have a, an offering box on the walls, the way they had it, and it was like a crocodile. You know, like the cartoon in the, in the kids' room. And it wrote over the top, God does not like grumpy givers. If you're going to be grumpy, but don't ever give to God. God wants cheerful givers. And when you start giving yourself away, it it becomes natural, whatever it is. It's a necessity. We need to be ready to share, willing to share. To go into our cupboards if there's someone in need and give. But again, the most valuable thing, it's time that people need. They may just be burdened and they just need to, to, to pour out, and you just need to listen. And that's hard for all of us in some way. And it's important to understand. Now, James says, one twenty two, but prove yourself to be doers of the word, not merely hearers, and delude themselves. You know, many people can hear a message like this and, and, and just go and live the same old life. It, it, it's supposed to affect us. A believer there will be a change in his life. Not everything will happen overnight, but there, there's this process. We will become more and more like Jesus each week. And I, I believe you won't notice it, but others around you will notice it. Notice again in Matthew six nineteen and 21, notice what it says. Again, do not store up, for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And where your treasure, there your heart will be. See, when you're investing in heavenly things, you know, one of the things you invest in is simply people in their lives, their personal lives. 
bringing them the gospel message, being a friend to them and waiting for that opening when God has you share. In fact, in our text in verse 19, it says, store up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation of the future. That's heaven. That's what we're talking about. He says, invest in the things, the things that are really lasting, the things that are eternal. This is where I kind of get that idea of what I say, that really biblical Christianity is giving yourself away. First you give yourself away to God, and then you give yourself away to the world. It's all his anyways. We know in heaven the best is yet to come. This life is like a vapor, as we saw. But we're to lay up and store up for heaven. Everything in this world is, it's not going with you. Nothing's going to go with you. Except for those relationships in Christ will go with you. That's what matters. So, again, when you're giving yourself away to God and you're giving yourself away to others, then these things become a natural process. Again, look back at verse 18. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Solomon said it this way in Proverbs 11, 24, 25. There, there is one who scatters it, yet increases all the more. And there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet its results is only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. It's just, it's kind of like what we call the the law of sowing and reaping. Not good karma, bad karma. It's the laws that God has placed in there. It will come back to you. If you don't see it in this lifetime, you will see it in eternity. Judy said to me one time, I used to hand out these little tracks, and it was like a little monkey. And the monkey was kind of posed, you know, kind of like a, you know, posing for a picture. And he had his little finger like this. And, you know, um, it had a little question on there, uh, if I'd only known. And then it would open up like a little cartoon thing and, and give. And Judy said, well, you're going to get to heaven, and all these people are going to hold up this little track. Because you can invest in things and not even know how God uses it. But now people are in the kingdom. This is what's important. First, living that life and living that life will be sharing with people. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says this, Now, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And certainly this can speak of money, but I'm speaking more or less today of time. We've talked about money before. We've talked about money now. But your time that you give to one another, given in evangelizing and sharing the gospel with people, going to the hospital and spending time when people are in the hospital, or preparing food for someone when they're sick and taking over their house out of, the, out of your own time. These are all things that have been prepared for you before the foundation of the world. And God remembers every one of these things. It's interesting, again, Proverbs 22, 1 says this. A good name is to be more desired than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. What is a a, a good name? It means a, a good reputation. It is the, the fruit of a, a good character. 
years ago when I first moved to Hilo, uh, there was a man, and he says, you know, I, I came to the Lord. This guy spoke to me years ago, and I've never seen another person like him. He says, you know what? He was a pastor of a church here, and he's no longer in Hilo. And he said he was with the homeless, he was with the rich, he was here or there, and everywhere he went, he told people about Jesus. His life had impacted people. He did what he told the people to do, and he modeled it and lived it, and his life had affected so many people. How does our life affect people? Will we hear those words, good and faithful steward? Is it really that the the only thing really matters is hearing those words from the Lord, good and faithful servant? It's easy to say those things. What God wants from you is your heart today. He wants you to follow him. He calls out, and certainly it's a, it's a call for evangelism first. Come all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. But he also says, come to me, not to church. That's something that we will do. Come to me. He, he's going to take those burdens. He's going to teach us how to do these things. Because you were made for these good works. They were prepared before the foundation of the world. Please stand with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you have prepared good works for us. Lord, our desire really is to honor you, to magnify you. Our desire is that, that, that people will see you in our hearts. Hear you in the words we speak, in the life that we live that they hear the gospel from us. They see that we're not stingy, but we're generous. We're loving, we're caring. Not hypocritical, or judgmental, or fault-finding. But we're like you, Jesus. Loving, and kind, and caring, and forgiving.